What a great closing verse to that bumper, right? Amen. Amen. Good to see you all. How's everyone doing today? We good? Good, good. All right. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts uh, 8, verses 4 through 8. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. This past week, my kids and I did something I hadn't done in a long time. We busted out some puzzles. Anyone here a big puzzle fan? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, good. Anyone here a Lego fan? Yeah, yeah. Probably more so. The thing about Legos is those things are like a thousand bucks for like a, you know, a puzzles way cheaper. So anyway, so my kids play with puzzles. Uh, so my kids and I were, uh, this past on Friday, we were building some puzzles and um, I was teaching them, you know, there aren't any really tips and tricks to build puzzles. What's the one strategy to building a puzzle? Oh, I got corners. Okay. Yeah, outside first, but most important part, you got to look at the picture on the box, the picture. Right, right, right. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's two strategies for puzzle making. I just won. My apologies. Uh, so I'm teaching them the strategies, of course. You teach them the corners. Everybody knows that, right? And so teaching the edges, you got to do the edges first. But the biggest thing that I was teaching my kids was you always have to keep the picture, the vision of what you're building towards in front of you, right? And often in the church today, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we kind of we lose sight of or maybe forget what this is all about, like what we're building towards, what the Lord Jesus has entrusted to us, his kids, to he sends us the Holy Spirit, who will be a helper, help us to do what? To advance the kingdom. And the beautiful thing that the Lord does in his grace to us is he gives us the picture on the box of what we're building towards. And that's Revelation 21, which says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with him as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. In verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the picture on the box of what we as believers in the Lord Jesus get invited to build into. And then the refrain of our lives is to pull down that heavenly reality across the face of the earth, right? Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. How should we pray? What is the very first thing Jesus teaches his disciples to pray every day, multiple times a day? Our Father who is in heaven, may you, uh, hallowed be your name. Would your glory, yeah. Your pastor knows the Lord's Prayer, all right? Let's just, <laughs> hallowed be your name. May your glory fill the earth. May your name be glorified. Then what comes next? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then what follows that? On earth as in heaven. So then our lives, our lives are prayerful through prayer and faith and obedience. We're to say, Lord, let that heavenly Revelation 21 uh, picture come down and flood the earth. Heaven invading the earth. That's what we're building towards and that's what we get invited to do. And uh, the reason I share that is because the title of my sermon today is When Heaven Invades Samaria. Because in our text today, we're just looking at four verses rather than 54. Praise Jesus. Uh, in our text today, we see that in breaking of the kingdom of God, come to Samaria through the faithful obedience 
of Philip. And a quick recap of where we're at in Acts 8 is if you were here last week, you know that Stephen, the non-apostle, a man full of the Holy Spirit, he was on trial before the Sanhedrin, uh, but he was killed for his faith, for just being a follower of Jesus. He was killed, and his death was kind of a spark that fueled this massive fire of great persecution that came against the church. It said, we learned of Saul of Tarsus last week, um, who uh, said was ravaging the church like a, a lion hunting for prey. He was arresting women and men in Jerusalem. So up until Stephen's death, the church was kind of contained. The main hub of operations was in the city of Jerusalem, and this persecution comes. And with Stephen's death was, yes, the spark of great persecution, but also the spark of great revival going to the nations as the church flees Jerusalem and goes to Judea and Samaria. And so today we learn of a man named Philip, who, like Stephen, was one of the seven non-apostles chosen to uh, oversee the daily distribution uh, for the widows in the church. This is a dude who's, who's kind of just like you and me, just overseeing, uh, you know, some food and, and uh, provision for some elderly uh, widows in the community. And we see this man used mightily by God to advance his kingdom. And what we see, what we learn of Philip today, is that he doesn't leave Jerusalem as a refugee seeking asylum. He leaves Jerusalem as an ambassador of the kingdom of God sent to Samaria to usher in the glorious news of King Jesus and his coming kingdom. So three things to frame out our, our sermon uh, today is this, is the three things we're going to look at is one is where the kingdom came, two, uh, <laughs> I know my outline here, how the kingdom came, and why the kingdom came, where, how, and why. So let's read these verses out loud together. I'll pray and we'll dive in. Acts 8 verses 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you sent your son for the fullness, Lord, of joy in our hearts. Jesus, you said that in the upper room multiple times, that you came so our joy, your joy may be given to us and our joy may be filled where your kingdom comes, where your presence is, there's fullness of joy. Thank you for the joy this morning that we have. And you thank you for your presence. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We don't deserve it, God. And yet you lavish your riches and grace upon us. You gave us your son for us, the likes of us. So we come before you, Lord, humbly, saying may everything be about you, Jesus, today. May the focus be taken off of everything else and put on you, the lamb that was slain, to rescue us and to save us and to set us free, but most importantly, to bring us home to the presence of God, the presence of our Father. We love you, Jesus. Take all all the glory this morning. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Return to us the awe and the wonder of our precious Savior, our King, and the kingdom that he's ushered in. And thank you that in your grace to us, you've invited us to feast at the table with you, Jesus. So may you be glorified. And may you have your way with your people and your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing we see in our text today, we're going to look at is where the kingdom came. Simply put, you might be saying, Nick, why are we going to focus on this? Clearly, Philip went to Samaria. Well, at first glance, we go, okay, 
cool, this is kind of just another random town I don't know much about because we're 2,000 years removed. But what we need to understand is kind of the shocking nature of where Philip went to proclaim the kingdom of God. Because the bottom line is this, is people from Jerusalem didn't go to Samaria, right? There was a long, long history of animosity and violence and hatred between Jews and Samaritans, okay? I could give, uh, I had way too much of my notes, I had to take it out. Let me give you a brief history, okay? Starting uh, with the kingdom divided, you had the northern kingdom, Israel, and you had the southern kingdom, Judah. The capital of Israel, the northern kingdom, was Samaria, okay? And in 722 BC, you had the Assyrians invade Israel, the northern kingdom. They vanquished Samaria. And when they kind of vanquished and plundered Samaria, the capital, they took a, a lot of Jews out of Samaria to pagan lands, and then they colonized Samaria by sending in a lot of pagan Gentiles into the capital of Israel at the time, which was Samaria. Does that make sense? Okay, and what happened was for the Jews that were remaining, or either the Jews that returned, is they, uh, they took a hankering to Gentile women, right? And they started intermarrying, which you're not supposed to do, right? Like in, in, that, in that culture, you're not supposed to do that. And not only did they intermarry, but they also started blending their worship of Yahweh with the worship of the pagan gods. Okay, so that was kind of the distinction between those Samaritans. They're kind of these, you know, from the Jews' perspective, half-breed pagan idolaters. And then watch this. When the southern kingdom, Judea and Jerusalem, when Jerusalem gets ransacked by Babylon, and then finally the exiles return in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they start rebuilding the temple so they can worship God in Jerusalem, right? They start rebuilding the temple. You guys hopefully know how this goes. And the Samaritans come to help, to help them rebuild the temple. And the Jews go, we don't need help from pagan half-breed like they say we don't need your help get out of here they shun the samaritans so then this guy manasseh a jew leaves he goes to samaria marries a samaritan woman and builds a competing temple for yahweh in samaria on mount gerizim so now you have two temples where two different groups of people are saying this is where yahweh actually dwells and where you're supposed to worship him okay so that was uh, some a brief history but basically uh to put it in modern day terms the jewish people they canceled the samaritans all right Cancel culture has been around for a long time, and they don't cancel them. We're not going to talk to you. We're not going to do business with uh, these people. We're going to cancel them. And, and, uh, and the reason why was this, is to the Jews, the Samaritans were, quote-unquote, the other. They were the people not like us. They were the people not as holy and righteous and pure as we are. They look different. They talk different. They worship different than us. And so all that to say, it is absolutely earth-shattering that Philip left Jerusalem and made a beeline to the people group that everyone else in Jerusalem had canceled. And the message he proclaimed as he went, as someone coming from Jerusalem to the Samaritans, was not fire and brimstone and saying, you wicked Samaritans, all the evil you've done throughout the centuries, we hate you, you, you know, turn or burn, all this stuff. No, 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 that wasn't, that wasn't the message he preached. It was the good news we learn of in our text today, the good news that, hey, King Jesus, watch this, King Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, loves Samaritans. Loves Samaritans to the point that he would die a brutal death on the cross so that they could be invited to feast with him at his table in his kingdom forever. Essentially, the good news that Philip brings is where the people of God formerly have canceled you. The good news is God hasn't canceled you, Samaria. 
Because Christ Jesus is radically for you to the point of dying so that you could be with him at his table, feasting with him in his kingdom for all of eternity. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. Every person of every tribe, every tongue, every nationality is invited to feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 7, we get this beautiful picture of people from all over to the ends of the earth. People uh, that, that, that what we see in John 4, when Jesus went to Samaria, right? In John 4, you guys know the story, woman at the well. And he says something so key there. He says, it's neither on Mount Gerizim, Right, the temple in Samaria, it's no longer Mount Zion, the temple in worship. Uh, what, what I'm going to do, the time is now here and is coming when people will worship me in spirit and truth because wherever uh, uh, my, 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 my blood, my atoning work has been applied to the doors of the heart of humanity, the spirit indwells. So now the people of God are now the temple of God. That's where God dwells now is with his people. So you can worship wherever you go. And then he says this, key line, Jesus says to the woman at Samaria, the father is seeking worshipers to worship him, worshipers to worship him, sons and daughters to be called home and to abide with him and to love him and to serve him and to glorify him in Samaria and Judea and Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And the question I, the reason I hone in on this is obviously because our culture is so polarized and divided, but, but, it, but sadly and tragically, often we adopt the world's standards, right? And, and, and we think as the people of God that often we can be justified. We can be justified in our disdain, in our disgust for a people group different than us, right? Because the, the people of God, the Israel, the Jews with the Samaritans, they thought they were actually justified in their disdain and their disgust for the Samaritans. And so my question to you today personally would be which group, which people group or political group for you is Samaria? Which people group is it, right? Is it those on the far, far this, the far, far that, that are ruining this, that are ruining that? Because listen, listen, if you're a child of God today, that, like, homie, don't play that. Like, you can't do that anymore, right? You can't do that. I can't believe I just said that. You can't do that anymore. When you become a follower of Jesus, you forever forfeit the right to pick and choose whom you will extend love to. Forever forfeit the right. Surrender. You want to talk about laying rights down all to Jesus I surrender? That's laying down all disdain and disgust for your quote-unquote enemies. Enemies. Stated differently in our hearts, what if we have canceled people that Jesus Christ has invited to his table? What if the Father is actively seeking worshipers in that people group or that political agenda to worship him and to love him and to call them home? What if there's future sons and daughters in that Samaritan people group for you that maybe the Lord is calling us to go to, right? And why, why, why would we do, why would we be a people who want to extend an invite to our quote unquote, quote unquote enemies? Because what the gospel clearly teaches is this, is that if the likes of us, you tracking with me? If the likes of us, have been invited to feast at King Jesus' table, you better believe everybody gets an invite. Everybody gets an invite. We got an invite in our sin, in our rebellion, when our backs were turned and our fists were shaked to the heavens. Some of us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our depravity, in the midst of our bondage, that's where Jesus came to us and said, I want you 
I want you to be with me forever, right? We practice that which we have received, and we have received undeserved grace and mercy and hospitality, and therefore we go to the nations, to the Samaritans, and say, you've been invited, and I've been invited. Amen? And that's the the scandal, uh, at least in the first century, of what's taking place here is what Jesus is all about, is saying, my kingdom, the table, often in the church, our table is very small, right, of who, who, would, who would be allowed or who would be welcomed into the table. Jesus' table is a whole lot bigger, and there's a whole lot more people he wants invited to the table, okay? And so then my question to us would be this, and my wife and I were chatting about this, and I go, man, this question, I sit under this question, and this is a question, I'll move on to my next point, is this is, who's feasted at your dinner table in the past six months? This past six months, who's been invited to feast at your table? Has it just been people who look like you, who vote like you, and and worship like you do? Or do our friend groups, do do those who've been feasting at our table, kind of look like the friendships of Jesus in the Gospels, right? Who would that be? And where today what neighbor, maybe someone in your network, a friend of a friend, where today might the Lord be encouraging, yes, go out, but also to inviting Samaria in to get an invite to the table. And may they first get invited to our table and show them the love of Christ. And when they ask us, after we ask them their story and to get to know them and love them, no real agenda, they're not a project, we're just trying to, to love them. We can say when they ask us why, I'd be like, well, Jesus, do you tell them the gospel? Because I've been invited. And so we want, me and my house, we want to invite those to the table as Jesus has invited us to the table. Amen? All right, so the first thing we see is where the kingdom of God came. The the kingdom of God is for people of every tribe, every color, every uh, ethnicity, all the nations. And the gospel, the kingdom comes to Samaria. And the next thing we're going to look at is how how the kingdom comes to Samaria. What we see is Philip enters Samaria, and he, there's a declaration, there's a proclamation of this good news of King Jesus and this king's open invitation for the likes of the Samaritans to feast at his table. But what's so interesting in our text is that Philip's ministry to the Samaritans doesn't stop with just declaration. It doesn't just stop with talk. It doesn't just stop with proclamation. There's a demonstration of the reality that he's testifying to, okay? Don't take my word for it. It's about to get weird here. Look at verses 6 through 8. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, <laughs> it's amazing, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice. I thank you, Luke, for that detail. It's amazing. Came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. So this kind of begs the question, right? 21st century ministry models, you don't really see too much of that today, right? And so then we return to the text and we go, Philip, like, bro, why the weird stuff, man? Can you just keep it normal? Can we just be normal Christians? Can we just do like a normal, can you just have like a normal revival meeting, like preach the gospel, have them fill out like salvation cards, get the horse trough, you know, and like dunk them. And you just do, you do, you gotta do that. Why, why we gotta do the weird? Demons screaming out like, ah, you know, with agony and, you know, the paralytics like, you know, jumping up and down, wheelchairs over their head. Like this is a crazy Pentecost. Like what's, like what's going on, Philip? Why the weird stuff? Why can't we just preach the gospel, man? And the reason why, the reason why is because I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, right? Often our 21st century Western gospel is, is something true, 
And something beautiful and something we celebrate every Sunday, right? That Jesus Christ came to save sinners through his death and resurrection so that we could go to heaven, right? But what if the gospel is so much more? What if the gospel is the ushering in of a kingdom? What if the gospel is a king ascending to a throne and pouring out his presence upon the earth so his glory fills the entire earth? His temple now is wherever his people go. And as his people goes to the nation, the temple now is, becomes the entire earth, right? The earth will be filled with his glory. What if the, the gospel is the good news, the good news, the glorious news, the great news of the reestablishment of King Jesus's reign and rule over all things? And it, skipping ahead to our text next week, uh, Acts 8.12 says this. This is the gospel that Philip preached. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about what? About the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of Jesus, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You know it's going to be a good sermon when you find a good Keller quote. So Tim Keller quote uh, will be up here next. All right. The kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces, Right? the entrance of supernatural for Jesus' renewal of all things. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health and to beauty and to freedom. And a key line I want to hone in on here, because I'm preaching the text to you this morning. I'm not going to shy away from the weird today, all right? Because uh, I, I, uh, I will stand before the Lord uh, giving a testimony of whether I spoke the truth or whether I shied away from the truth. So I'm making my aim to please God. And so a key line here, key line is this. Brought back. You see that line in Taylor Square? As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority. Well, what does that mean? Brought back from whom? Brought back from where? And what scripture clearly teaches, the devil. The devil, the kingdom of darkness, with an with a innumerable amount of demonic principalities and unclean spirits and demons, right? That's what Jesus came to do. That in a mysterious way, Scripture teaches us that with the fall of man, the devil was temporarily given rulership over the world. And obviously with that reign, his rulership over the world comes unspeakable evil, horrific evil, bondage, demonization, disease, death, murder, hatred, dissension, enmity, greed, oppression, with his tyranny over humanity, that's what happens. And so therefore, the primary, I'm about to, I'm about to, I got to, look at my text. I got a bunch of, we're going to go a journey through scripture. Don't take my word for it, all right? The primary purpose of Jesus appearing, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, and I hope, it, I, I hope not, but, uh, but I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> the primary purpose of Jesus appearing is the dismantling and the destroying of this wicked kingdom. Hallelujah for some of us who've gotten deliverance. Amen. We've been redeemed. We've been saved. And the establishment of his just, righteous, healing, perfect kingdom to the face of the earth. Don't take my word for it. Let's dive into scripture. Luke 4, tempted. I get, I get so fired up on this because, oh, sorry. Whew, so got to cool me down up here. All right. Luke 4, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil, an actual being in the unseen realm, an evil being, says this to Jesus. Maybe you've never seen this before. And the devil took him up and showed Jesus 
all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to, to, said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. Why? For it's been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. How can you give, how can you give that? How can you actually tempt Jesus with that if you can actually give him what you promise? And, Jesus, and, and Satan goes, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you whatever you want. And Jesus goes, I'll do you one better. How about no, and how about, I, how about I destroy your kingdom, right? How about I usher in a better kingdom? How about I finally reclaim and reestablish and renew what is rightfully mine? That's what he came to do. Don't take my word for it. First John 3, 8. One of my favorite, I'm going to get a tattoo of this in Greek. The, the reason, the, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, I'll do you one better, Satan. At my baptism, when the Holy Spirit came upon me, that was the, the, the crackling, the rippling of your kingdom falling and toppling. John 12, there's words of Jesus. This, the judgment of the world, now, now, now is the judgment of the world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out, the devil. And how will he be cast out? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Do we understand that salvation, evangelism, it's warfare? Everyone who's not in Christ Jesus is in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus, when he was lifted up on the cross, he's drawing men to himself saying there's salvation. There's a new Lord. There's a new ruler who's on the throne. Bow down and worship him and receive the kingdom. Receive salvation. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he, through death, through the cross, what, is, what did Jesus do? He might destroy the one who has the power of, of death. And in case there's any debate on who that one is, the author of Hebrew goes, that is uh, the devil. Yeah, that's the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. My, my, one of my favorites, Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation, yes, and the power, amen, and the kingdom, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come fully. There's coming a day that's fully realized. And what's the evidence of his kingdom coming? For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. who accuses them day and night before God. Some of us here in this room, we've been released from the tyranny of accusations that have been crippling us all of our lives. That's the enemy. That's demonic. That's not of Christ. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt in life. No fear in death. That is the power of Christ in me. So returning to our text, all that to say... <laughs> The sound of demons screaming in agony and the lame screaming for joy is not weird or abnormal. What if, church, it's actually the very thing King Jesus came to do? What if? What if? That weird stuff happening in Samaria is the beautiful sound of the kingdom of heaven breaking into Samaria and dismantling all the strongholds that the kingdom of darkness once held. King Jesus, 
through salvation. Salvation is preached. People come to Jesus. That's him reclaiming what's rightfully his. Colossians 2, there's a transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Ephesians uh, 2, a uh, transfer from being uh, under the tyranny of the prince of the power of the air, but God being rich in mercy sent his son, so salvation comes. Jesus reclaims what is rightfully his. And then watch this. Not only does he reclaim through his death and his resurrection, he reclaims what's rightfully his, but then he renews it. And he restores it back into its original tent. Health, wholeness, healing come when Jesus grabs a hold of your life. He begins that work of sanctification. And one day there's going to be a glorification where all of our achy joints and physical illnesses, cancer, disease, all that's going to be washed away because Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom. All that is actually of the demonic and sin. And Jesus ushers in that reign and rule, reclaiming and renewing what is rightfully his so that we can say, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, behold, the old is gone and the new has come. And the greatest privilege of our lives is that Jesus invites us to continue what he started. Some of us today, we say, this isn't for today. All the weird stuff's not for today. Signs and wonders done by the power of the Spirit were only done to verify the apostles' apostleship or to verify the Messiah's messiahship. Okay? The only, well, one, there's a problem with that is because Philip's a non-apostle. Philip ain't an apostle. Okay? Secondly, secondly, signs and wonders of healing and deliverance, they're not, yes, of course, they verify the message, they verify the messenger, but it's not just that. They're tied to the kingdom. And so watch this. So if you don't believe this is continued today, then, then my question to you, do you believe Christ is still seated on the throne? Or, or do you believe that his, do you believe that his kingdom his reign and rule in the hearts of man, that he's hit the e-brakes on the kingdom of God because it's kind of weird to us today? Oh, hey, sorry, 21st century church in the West. This is weird. Let me crank the e-brake on the way my kingdom advance because I don't want to make, God forbid, I make you feel uncomfortable. No, he hasn't. His kingdom is still advancing in power. I have it on good authority. They're still coming out with loud shrieks to the glory of Jesus and to the praise of people who get that deliverance. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Tragically, in the church today, we wonder why our faith is so far removed from this picture in Acts, right? So far removed. Why, like, okay, I, maybe I believe this for today, but my experience, I bring my experience. What we do with the Bible is uh, people in the hyper-experiential camp, they're always uh, say, oh, you use your experiences over the Word of God. You use your experiences to distort the Word of God because you hold your experiences over here, and you bring the Word of God up to your experiences. Well, the other side is this, is that our lack of experience, we can bring God's Word down to our lack of experience and say, I don't see that today, so then God's Word comes down to my experience. And instead, we want to be faithful to what God's word clearly teaches. And God's word clearly teaches, in my humble opinion, that all this weird stuff still happens today because it's not weird. It's beautiful. And his kingdom is coming in power. But the reason I think our faith can often be lifeless and not vibrant and, and, and there's kind of a gnawing that there should be something more in our lives is because simply this. And it's, and, 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 and it's, and it's, um, it's not an indictment. It's just, it's just I think, the state of, of kind of what we've done in the, in the church um, because, because we're so influenced by naturalism rather than the scriptures, is we've desired the king but not the kingdom. The gospel we've preached is the gospel of the king and not the kingdom, meaning this, is that King Jesus, I love you. You died to set me free from sin. I'll be in heaven with you one day, and it's just about me and this vertical relationship, okay, with you, which is true, which is great, which is glorious. But there's also a kingdom that Jesus has called us to advance, Right? But the kingdom for us, like we go, we go, King Jesus, I love you, I want you, I want the king, but the hard, messy uh, work, the weird work of the kingdom, I don't really want any part in that. So I'll follow you, Jesus, but I'm not going to press into the weird 
like praying for people to get healed, seeing what happens, casting demons out of people, you know, like, like operating the power of the Spirit, listening to the Lord and seeing if he's, he's going to speak, like all that stuff, that's weird. Not going to do that, Jesus. And the hard stuff of the gospel doesn't just advance by the power of the Spirit, Tim Keller's supernatural energy invading and renewing, not just that, but also when the church clothes themselves in good deeds done in love to the least of these of society. And that's the heart stuff. The idea is beautiful. Let's feed the homeless, let's visit the incarcerated, let's welcome the refugee. But that's hard work. That's messy work. So we, so we go to Jesus and we say, we want you, Jesus. We want the king, but we don't want the kingdom. Right? And it's kind of like a trust fund kid who loves his dad, talks to his dad, and he's got billions of dollars uh, coming as his inheritance. And uh, instead of like stepping into the family business, he goes, no, I'm not going gonna, I'm not gonna to lift a finger to pull down that inheritance to either add increase to that or pull down that inheritance so others can be beneficiaries of it. I'm going to play some Xbox Live on the couch in my 40s while I just wait, wait for my inheritance to come and talk with my pops a little bit just to keep the relationship going, just to make sure I don't miss out on the inheritance. Right? Right? And so we want the king without the kingdom, and then we wonder, man, why? There's something missing. This, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here, church. See, from experience here, and where there's gnawing, why? Why am I not encountering the fullness of what we see? And God, because what if, what if, church, what if Jesus Christ does his best, most beautiful work in the weird and in the hard, right? What if that's where Jesus is? Matthew 25, the day of final judgment, Jesus gives his bride the answers to the final exam. I encourage you, if you haven't, go read Matthew 25. That's the final exam that's coming, the questions, right? And he says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying that when you go out into the streets and you clothe the naked and you welcome the refugee and you visit the incarcerated, I'm going to meet you there in those moments. I'm going to meet you just as much here as we gather to worship, but I'm also going to meet you out there. Or when you invite those in, that's where I'm at, right? What if that's where Jesus does his most beautiful work? And so a quick, quick member meeting for everyone here, especially if you knew the transit, uh, just uh, you know, clear the air here, is in January of 2021, we felt a shift from 2020 that the Lord was saying, we've done a great dr- job being a people of the word and of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and declaring the kingdom, proclaiming King Jesus. And what we, what we felt that Jesus is inviting us into is now being a people who also recruit their hands and their feet to go demonstrate that kingdom. Right? And so in January of, of 2021, we had a summit meeting and we started, we created two groups that are new to the transit an intercessory team headed up by Kristen Lester. And under that umbrella, the intercessory team, that's where we're pressing kind of not into the weird, but what is biblical and true and what is God's gift? What did Jesus give to the church? Operating the power of the Spirit, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord, praying, crying out for renewal in the church and through the church. And then also under that intercessory team is, um, it's God's kingdoms coming like it did in Samaria, right? There's an inner healing and deliverance team. And a while back, uh, my sister Kristen and I were, were praying for an individual. And uh, you want to talk about a lot, like we're just, like my sister got an, a gentle nudge from the Holy Spirit with this lady who loves Jesus, by the way, and, and, and leads worship at her church, okay? Let that sink in for a little bit. We're, and a gentle nudge, we're not, we're not like swinging blazers. We're not, you know, like putting a cross, you know, we're not doing anything great. My sister goes, hey, I feel like the, I just, the, the thought came to mind that the Lord might be leading you to repent of spiritual pride that you have over your husband. You feel like you're spiritually superior. Can we lead you in like a prayer of like repentance and forgiveness of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that, that's great. That's, I think I need to repent of that. The middle of that prayer, I, words cannot describe the, the, the decibel level of a scream that came out 
And so much so that I thought that it was during work hours, the FBI's next door. I thought the FBI was going to come running in thinking we were waterboarding somebody. And the next thing for the next hour, this like joking herself, trying to rip a Bible. It was just bizarre. It was crazy. All these things were manifesting, all this stuff. But listen, listen, you want something to strengthen your faith in, in the kingly reign and rule of Jesus? Start pressing into deliverance ministry. And you might be saying, oh, well, that, that was a split personality. Well, I've been in over 12 meetings where believers have manifested demons, or if you're here today and a skeptic, or here today and an unbelieving believer, may saying, let me tell you this, uh, what's so interesting about all these split personalities that are manifesting and people we're praying for, is that every split personality is completely subject to and yielded to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? And they're being sent where they're supposed to go. And they're being loosed off of the people of God who have far too long been under the tyranny of the devil. Jesus Christ is bringing about a renewal. There's many outside the church, many inside the church, who the Lord is setting free from things that are binding them and enslaving them. And deliverance ministry isn't a deliverance ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus. It was his idea. It was what it means to follow Jesus. I didn't make this up. Nobody made this up. Jesus did. And then the apostles do it. And then the non-apostles did it. Why? Because Jesus still has a vested interest in destroying the works of the devil and having his kingdom come and setting people free, that which is tyrannical and not of him and not of his presence. And then the result after people come in the, with these inner healing and over 30, on the other end of my story, big part of my story is deliverance. So I got an ax to grind, man. The rest of my life I got an ax to grind. So I get so fired up about this is because I was blinded my entire life blinded. And, and, and a lot of people who misinformed always pointed me in the wrong direction. And what I needed was someone up here who had an encounter, maybe an experience, to say, maybe it's demonic. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe the church needs to reawaken to the spiritual warfare that's going on. Maybe we don't need a new ministry model, but maybe we need to start adopting the ministry model that's been given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures in the book of Acts and the Gospels and the power and the freedom. Watch this. The joy that comes. There it is. The joy that comes on the other side of deliverance, on the other side of healing. My, my, my. The screams are louder and longer of joy than they are of the demonic. Let me just say that. Let me just say that. Amen? So the kingdom of God has been coming at the transit church, and it's beautiful through the intercessor team and also just the fruit heading up the outreach team. Matthew 25, man, we're going for it, right? Good works done in love for the least of these of society. Jesus says go, and we, 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 we say, yes, Lord, send us, open up doors. We pray, we're not going without you. Open up, and, and, and we, got, we got so much stuff going on, it's beautiful. And, 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 and Ephesians 2.10, and I'll slowly wrap up with this. Jesus Christ prepares good works beforehand, right? Before time began, we just step into what he's done. I think the Lord has prepared for us a rich harvest that we're pressing into corporately. Good works prepared before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ is inviting us into. And that's the greatest privilege of our lives. Um, I'll conclude with this. I got to skip over why. The reason why the kingdom of Samaria came was this simple response, going to our third point. <clears throat> well, we could easily say, well, it's because Philip went there. That's why the kingdom of God went there. But a better response is why the kingdom of God came to Samaria was because Philip went there, but Philip no longer travels alone. He's a follower of Jesus filled with the presence of God. 
the Holy Spirit clothed in power. Philip didn't travel alone to Samaria. Lo, go to the ends of the world, Matthew 28, Great Commission, and, lo, and know that I am with you. I am with you. If, if the Holy Spirit does not clothe and fill Philip in power, nobody's getting saved, nobody's getting healed, nobody's delivered. The reason the kingdom of God came is because God's presence came. God's presence came, right? And the response of God's presence coming, it says in our text, is much joy came to that city. And Psalm 1611 says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there's fullness of joy. This is the restoration and the reconciliation that King Jesus has accomplished. God's presence now coming and filling us where there was once separation and there was division. Jesus brings reconciliation and reconciles a sinful humanity to a holy God and God's presence fills us as our inheritance of what's to come. What is heaven? Heaven is God's presence, Revelation 21. It's God dwelling with man and man dwelling with God. And so I'll conclude with this. When we talk about kind of advancing the kingdom, it's easy for kind of condemnation to come over us, like, oh, we're not doing enough, or I feel like I'm not, you know, in the pizza slice or contributing. And I want to break off that false condemnation off of you today. Um, I want to break that off, right? Often, um, you know, when we press into that, we're still going to press into it. We're going for it, right? And um, instead of condemnation, it's an invitation. It's always an invitation of Jesus to invite us into what he's prepared before us. And so I'm a, obviously a father, and I share at least three or sermon illustrations of my family when I preach. But I was, I, sometimes I come home from work, and it's been a long day, so my kids are on a show. They're watching Slugs and Bugs. I come home, and I have so much exciting things that I'm going to do for them. Like, hey, let's go build this puzzle, right? But they're, like, looking at the screen, right? And I can't, I could do jumping jacks. I could moonwalk. Like, I could, you know, I could get a megaphone, and nothing could get their focus off of the screen, right? And uh, I don't go in there and I flip the table and throw the, you know, the, the iPad across the wall and say, how dare you? I condemn you, all this stuff. No, what's going to draw them off of that screen is saying, I have, I'm going to invite you into something far greater than what you're watching right now. Let's come with daddy. Let's come with daddy, and let's, let's go on an adventure together. And that's the father's heart. That's the father's heart to you and to me today. It's not condemnation. Go, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? What if the invitation of your father today is this? And and I'm going to pray after this. I'll invite the band up. What if the invitation to you today is this? Beloved son, beloved daughter, take my hand and come with me and let's build something beautiful together. Let's build something beautiful together. Here's the picture, Revelation 21, of what we're building towards. Here's my presence. I want to go with you. You can't build without me. Now let's go have some fun. Let's build something beautiful together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We worship you. We proclaim your excellencies. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're under the reign and rule of a king of righteousness and perfection and love, God. Thank you for the love and the compassion that you have for us. Thank you for the love and the compassion that filled Samaria. Lord Jesus, people who were under the tyranny of the devil and physically and demonically afflicted, and uh, you brought salvation, you brought reconciliation, you brought renewal, Lord Jesus. And you've done that for us, and so we say thank you, Jesus. You've purchased us from the kingdom of darkness, and you've transferred us into the kingdom of God. So we say thank you. There's no guilt in life. There's no fear of death. In the victory of Christ we live. In the victory of Christ we stand. So thank you, Jesus. And I pray, God, I pray that you would have your way, Lord Jesus. 
we would not outpace you, but surely we wouldn't underpace you, but that you would have your way, Holy Spirit, with your church. Glorify Jesus. When we pray your kingdom come, we're asking that what happened in Samaria would happen in Landmark, God. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come, is to ask, to actually want what happened in Acts 8 to happen today. So may your kingdom come, and may your will be done, and may heaven invade the earth in Jesus' name for the glory of King Jesus and the glory of his kingdom. We say, here we are, God. Send us. Send us. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen.